Shalom Aleichem, welcome. This is another installment of our series called Hasidic Glossary, Oral Hasidic Glossary. And this is Adam Part 2. I want to begin with two quotes. The first is a Medrash, and the second is a Rambam Pirish Mishnah. It's commentary on Mishnahis. The Medrash says that the meaning of the word Adam, Al of Mem, which is translated as human being or man, from the highest levels and the lowest levels. This, of course, is linked to the Pasuk, which means Hashem created us last, but He thought about us first. But it also connotes that when a person is as a human being could be, which means his life and actions reflect the fact that he's created, in quotes, in the image of God, end quote. So then he's lifting in Malachi Asharis, he's higher than the angels of service. On the other hand, if his actions are not reflective of the fact that he was created in the image of God, the human being has the capacity to fall lower than the lowest animals. Like it's brought in Tanya chapter 24, and Yitush which means that when a person sins, he could be worse than the worst animal. And of course, historically, this has been shown to be true both in terms of humanity's ability to shine as well as humanity's ability to be cruel. It can out-cruel any cruel animal. That's the, that's the Medrash. From the highest and the lowest. The Rambam in his commentary on Mishnah adds another detail. That Malachim, angels, are Baal, and animals, which are very similar from a mystical perspective, are Baal Palech or the Shnei Palim, have one character trait or two character traits, and a human being is Balkala Palim Kulam. He's a in possession of all character traits. What that means to say is that animals are created with a distinctive nature. Some are kind and some are severe and some are cruel. And their nature is predetermined and their nature is inhibiting, it's limiting. Because they do not have a full panorama, a full rainbow, a full cross-section. Of, of emotions, of emotional responses. So they're limited to whatever character traits they've been planted with by their creator, which makes it impossible for them to act freely. They can only act within the nature that God gave them. Human beings were given every emotion. In other words, the most cruel human being has in his nature kindness. The most kind human being has in his nature exactitude, etc. So every human being has within himself every uh, emotional tendency some are more pronounced in some people and less pronounced in others, and others are more pronounced in some people and less pronounced in others. But every human being has potentially every single emotion. And of course, the Rambam's point, the Maimonides' point, is that this allows for free will. If our emotional disposition only had a certain slice of the, the full panorama of human emotions, we would not be able to act outside of that, so we wouldn't have the choice to act outside of our emotions. But if we've been given every emotion, even if our personality is preeminently one emotion over the other, the fact that ultimately we have all the emotions means we're not bound by the preeminent nature of our emotions. We have an option of bringing forward and emphasizing and developing and accentuating emotions which we may have 
to a far lesser extent and making them more part of our nature. And as a result, we have the freedom to choose how we express ourselves behaviorally based on how we feel emotionally, which is also a choice. So combining these two statements, the Midrashic statement that man is created from the highest and the lowest, and the Rambam statement that man is created with a full cross-section of emotions, you have an understanding of the meaning of the word Adam, a human being. In the most skeletal, in the most abstract and the least warm way, this describes human being as having what I would like to call a top and a middle and a bottom, a roish, a toich and a seif, a top and a middle and a bottom, and a right and a left and a center, a and a smell and an emtza. Which means if you're looking at it on a paper, it's technically nine. There is a top and a middle and a bottom, and there's a right, left, and a center, so across it's one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. It's a very, very simple model of how we understand what the human being is. If you look at those uh, encyclopedias and dictionaries that have entries on Kabbalah, and when it comes to Kabbalah, they'll, they'll have a depiction of a human being, his arms outstretched and his legs outstretched, and he's juxtaposed against the Mug and David, and they'll have or a bunch of triangles, and they'll have a bunch of words written on it. That's essentially what they're trying to depict, that the human being is connected to the highest high and the lowest low, and to the most extreme right and the most extreme left. This means that human beings have free will. They have a mind which is not bound by the limitations of their heart because they're vertical rather than being horizontal. Which like says that the human being's mind is above their heart and they can see the sky, which philosophically means they have a mind which is free to explore beyond what the heart feels. And then they have the capacity to educate their heart. And most importantly, they have the capacity to educate their heart in the kind of way that it'll translate into a behavior. That's a top and a middle and a bottom. Animals which are horizontal have intelligence, but their intelligence is predetermined by their heart. Like it says in Tanya. And as a consequence, their mind is a slave of their heart, so they can't use their mind freely to explore what is beyond without the predisposition of how the heart feels. So the fact that man, Adam, is as a top and a middle and a bottom explains how their mind can go beyond the inhibitions of their heart, and then they have the capacity to translate into behavior. The fact that they have a right and a left and a center denote that they have a, every emotional disposition. So this is the, the, the first idea is, and this is how it's explained in the Maimonim of the Rebbe Rashab from Tafresh Samach, is it, it provides for, it explains, it sets the stage for free will. Only human beings have free will, animals do not have free will, and angels that are very much like animals, they're not bal kol apolim kulam, and they're not men yenim they don't have free will. This is the first idea. But there's a second idea. And the second idea is that the fact that man has a top and a middle and a bottom, right and left and a center, means that man is balanced. The Kabbalistic term for this balance is tikkun. Tikkun could mean corrected. In other words, if something is disorderly and it's ordered, it's corrected, that's tikkun. But tikkun, Kabbalistically, doesn't only mean corrected, tikkun means correct, integrated, one. Mystically, this balance of reish teich seif means to top, middle, bottom, right, left, center, is an inverse model of what Kabbalah would call ain't safe, 
And here's how. The the Hebrew letters for the word Adam Alf Dalit Mem can be rearranged to spell the word Ma'oid, Mem Alf Dalit. Ma'oid means infinity, extreme. In Kabbalah, Ma'oid and Adam are two inverse images of the same thing. Ma'oid means infinity in its plainness. Philosophically and mystically, the concept of Ein Seif is not made up of components, not made up of parts. It's a plainness or it's a oneness of infinity. It's impossible to actually have an infinite number of finite components. It's simply impossible. Even though in mathematics they talk about infinity, but they talk about it in a theoretical way. No one's ever going to reach infinite numbers, assuming infinity exists. And the way mysticism and Hasidus understands infinity, I think it's quite different than the way it's understood in mathematics. There is an absolute chasm, there's a, an unbreachable gap between infinite and finite, because infinite is not the last number. It's outside the realm of number. It's really the same thing as one, um, because finite parts can never add up to infinity. So there's an absolute separation between the realm of the infinite and the realm of the finite. And accordingly, the concept of meoid, of infinity, is presumed, uh, and of course in, in Hasidus and Kabbalah we use the word ain't safe, which is uh, a much more meaningful word than believable, which means infinity is one. There's no parts to Ain Safe. It's it's an it's an it's a oneness that has within itself everything. And the way it's understood mystically is Ain Safe is a reflection of Ain Tchila, right? Hashem, God is Ain Tchila has no beginning. And the light of God, how that's how it's understood in the way Hasidus uses the metaphor for Ain Safe, reflects him. As he is infinite and one, his light is infinite and one. So that's the concept called Ma'oid. Kabbalistically, Adam is an inverse version. It's the same thing inside out of Ma'oid. But in this case, it's not one. It's detail. It's components. Now, arguably, and I just said this, if it's made up of finite parts, it should not be able to add up to infinity. And the explanation for how Adam, which is complex, and like I said to you before, the basic complexity is the number nine, right, left, center, top, middle, bottom, is infinite not in its infinity but in its exactness of order, its perfection, its exactitude. In other words, it has a degree of perfection which is equal to infinite except that it's expressing itself in the model of Adam rather than the model of Meoid. Uh, let's give an example for this. It says it is a wonderful Rabbeinu Bechai, I love this Rabbeinu Bechai very much, where he talks about the idea of man living forever, right? Before the original sin, the Torah says that man was supposed to live forever, and as a result, they died. Of course, there's a great debate whether this means literally that they would have lived forever or not. The philosophers in general say that it's, it's a figure of speech. It means for a very long time, for a thousand years perhaps, but not forever. The mystics predictably say, no, it means actually forever. Rabbeinu Bechaye, who tries to straddle the fence between the mystics and the Kabbalists and the philosophers by bringing both, makes a wonderful suggestion. And he introduces us to an idea which today is very widely understood. He calls it Koyach HaHamora. Koyach HaMora means the power of regeneration. The human body is made up of cells. Many, many, many teeny tiny little cells. Many of those cells, or all of those cells, or some of those cells die and have to be replaced. And they have a certain life expectancy, right? Some cells, like blood cells, have a very short life. Other cells, like the cells in the brain, or in the eye, or in the heart, um, have very, very long lives or 
allegedly, supposedly, presumably, they're not replaced, but this, I believe, is a bit of a controversy. They have a much, much longer life. When a cell is replaced, it's replaced by another cell. Right? The cell dies and it's replaced by another cell over and over and over again. Over the course of our lives, the ability for us to regenerate cells diminishes. In other words, the cells we produce later in life, the term that they use is they leak. They're not as wholesome, they're not as healthy. And one of the ideas associated with death is the, the weakening of the body as a whole. And one of the things which is associated with death is the gradual diminishing of the robustness of a person's cells. Now, let's go with this presumption. No soul cell lasts forever. But if our ability to regenerate those cells was such that over the course of our lives, the cells we produce later in life would be as healthy and as robust as the cells produced in the beginning, theoretically we can go on living forever because there's no aging. The aging happens for various reasons, including the weakening of the cells. So even though the body is finite and the cells are finite, if it has an ability to regenerate indefinitely, so that body could live on indefinitely. And Rabbeinu Bechai proposes this is the meaning of a of man living forever. He's sort of explaining it in a way which is a little bit biological. Now, when we talk about uh, cellular health in the body, there's two components to cellular health. The first is each cell by itself needs to be healthy, which means it's have an envelope, a wall that separates between itself and the cells around itself, that separates and distinguishes one cell from another on the one hand, but it serves also to take in nutrients and dispose of waste and to, to reconstruct cell parts, etc., etc., etc. And the other is the integration of the cells, the relationship between one cell and another. The number of cells is very, very large, but it's finite. And just as there can be illness within the weakening of the cells, there can certainly be illness in the relationships between one cell and another. So imagine if every cell that we have was as healthy as the cells we had when we were born, and the relationships within the cell was absolutely perfect. So even if the number of cells is finite, the number of relationships, of connection between one and the next, if you think about it, can add up to a virtual infinity, if not an actual infinity. Meaning to say, mathematically, it'll be a finite number. But the perfection that would emerge from the finite number of perfect wiring between each cell and every other cell would be so comprehensive that it would add up to an infinity. And that's the mystical concept of Adam, the mystical concept of man. That although he's finite, if he's perfectly ordered and he's perfectly integrated, He's in infinity. And this is why man is a metaphor for godliness, because the alternative, the inverse image of the plain one godliness is the complex, perfectly balanced, integrated godliness. And according to Kabbalah, this is only possible in human beings, not possible in animals and angels, because of the spiritual balance that we possess, that we walk upright, the top, middle, bottom, right, left, center, as I explained before. In Kabbalah, this is the reason why man is a metaphor for the so-called world of Atsilas, or Adam HaElyon, the supernal man, a realm which is both godly and man-like. The understanding is that the godliness, which is Ein Sof, is able to rest in the, in the supernal man because the vessels of the supernal man, like the cells I described before, are perfectly healthy in both of those aspects, each detail. 
is healthy within itself, and the relationship between each detail and all the other details is absolutely perfect. So even if it's finite, it adds up to a perfection, to a harmony, which is uh, understood to be infinite. And uh, this is our second installment on Adam, and the third one will come, IYH, Mirza Hashem.